0: Amen. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Good. My name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here. Delighted to be with you guys on this Family Sunday. For those of you who don't know what Family Sunday is, especially to the new families that maybe you visited today, and it was like, sweet, we get an hour and a half break, uh, and then now it's the hardest day of your life. And so, uh, here's why we do this. There's a handful of reasons why we do Family Sunday. I'm going to read them off to you. It's really important to us. And even what we're doing, Jess and I have been in conversations, the director of our kids' ministry here, But how do we make Family Sundays just better, if if I'm honest? In the past, it's been, hey, we're going to take the sermon and we're going to contextualize it to kids. We're going to keep through our series, preaching through whatever book we're doing. And then that would still end up being like a 45-minute sermon the kids didn't understand. And so, sorry about that. And so instead, we're going to do a few different things today in the midst of it. The reason why we do Family Sunday, here's a few things. We think there's an importance of letting our kids see what happens in big church, right, in adult church. Because eventually they're going to make the transition. Eventually they're going to be in this space. And we want them to know like this is a place that we can learn and grow and, and have joy and laughter and be together with the body. And so we think we give them these glimpses of these moments. Kids, and you can look around and see your parents worshiping and see other people together. We think that's good. Um, we think there's an importance of having parents worship with their kids, right? We think it's good that you guys sing together and that you be together as you praise Jesus. That even hopefully, I believe the Spirit of God would do something supernaturally in the midst of that, where he would be ever-present and they'd experience his presence through the worship together amongst the corporate body. Um, The next one is, I think it's important to give our kids' workers a break. Um, If you're a kids' worker, give me an amen, right? Um, our kids' workers are phenomenal. They do an amazing job uh, teaching our kids about the gospel, talking about Jesus, shaping them, and doing great work as we drop them off, oftentimes. And so we want to give them this week off where no one has to serve, Jess doesn't have to think as much as she normally does about what's happening on a Sunday and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And so it's a break for them as well. I will take this time to point out to something we are moving towards for the fall. Now that I have some of your parents in the room, Uh, we're probably going to be moving towards some version of if you're a parent um, and you have a kid in kids ministry, you'll have to serve in some capacity in kids' ministry. And so that sounds probably not something that you're maybe all that excited to do, but it's not going to be an every week thing. It won't even necessarily be an every month thing. But the reality is, is we've been asking kind of for about six or seven years to have a real healthy base of people to serve in kids' ministry. And for six or seven years, we haven't had it. Uh, and so we're going to say, like, listen, this is my responsibility too. My plan is when I'm not preaching on Sunday, Anthony's up here, that'll be a Sunday I'll be in kids as well. We all need to raise up the next generation. Okay, the last thing that I'll say in the midst of this, uh, the reason why we think it's good to do Family Sunday is we think raising up the next generation is an all-church job. Okay? This isn't just for the parents, and that is the driving philosophy behind Redemption Kids Ministry here at our church is that you parents are the main disciplers of your children, okay? But the church is to come alongside you, serve you, equip you, and equip your kids, train your kids, teach your kids. And so Family Sunday is a moment for us all to kind of see the kids, know the kids, and I'll say this, this is going to get loud in here. Kids will scream. That's totally fine. We're excited about that. If you see a kid run around, if you know the kid, help out the parent. If you don't know the kid, maybe don't, okay? Uh, like don't just go grabbing children you don't know, okay? Um, but help out the families here because all of this we do together and it's so vital we raise up the next generation, that we invest in our children, That we don't see kids' ministry as just kind of this, let me export the Christian work to these workers over there. No, I'm going to be involved. We're going to be engaged. We're going to together raise up the next generation to know, to love, and to follow Jesus. Amen? Yeah? Okay, so that's why we do Family Sunday. That's all the pieces of it. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to show a video today that's from the Gospel Project. That's the, the curriculum that we use for your kids uh, in sun, on Sunday mornings, and so we're going to watch a video about the Bible. We're also going to be pausing now on every Family Sunday, and whatever series we're doing, we're going to take a pause, and we're going to do a mini-series that are just on Family Sundays. And so today starts a four-week, four-week series on Family Sundays about the Bible and why do we think the bible is such an important thing kids for you to know and parents for us to teach our kids about let me just share a quick stat for you this won't be great for you kids but for you adults listen to this and know this okay gen z right which is kind of high school on down that generation barna in 2017 they did a study about Who has a biblical worldview? What percentage of our population has a biblical worldview amidst all of the generations, right? And so Gen Z had the lowest, which isn't a huge shocker, but it was at 4%. 4% of Gen Zers have a biblical worldview. Now, if you ask, well, what does that mean? Well, they see the Bible as the lens with which they understand life. So they believe it's true. They believe that in its morality and its principle that it's true. They believe that Jesus is God, They believe they're supposed to love their neighbor, care for the poor, stuff that is explicit in the Bible, that is biblical worldview, 4% of our Gen Zers. Now, here was the stat that shocked me. What do you think the the highest, the highest of all the generations, of all our people group, generation group, whatever, um, what do you think had the highest biblical worldview? What? No. They were second worst. (laughs) Okay. What else? (laughs) Starts with a B. Boomers, right? So the baby boomers, right? So our kind of 40, 50, 60 on up, right? So that crew, highest. Now, before you rejoice, baby boomer generation, okay? uh, Your number, actually, it's gonna be even older than that, so probably 60 on up, right? Um, Before you rejoice in that, your number was 10%. 10% of boomers have a biblical worldview. How does that happen? When 86% of our country says they're Christian, 10% of boomers have a biblical worldview. I think it's because we stopped reading it. We stopped thinking it was all that important. It's something we felt, we, yeah, we knew the stories from when we grew up as kids. Maybe we did the felt board, some of us, right? So you knew some of the stories. You knew about Jonah and the whale. It wasn't a whale, it was a fish, but we went through that all last time, okay? I think we kind of said, well, we'll just leave it up there. 92% of Households in America have a Bible in the home. 10% of boomers, right? 7% of Gen X, uh, 6% of millennials, 4% of Gen Z. We don't know what the Bible says anymore. And hear me, that starts with us, okay? It's not someone else's responsibility that our kids would know and love the Bible. That's parents, that's your job, and then it's the church to come around you, it's our job too. This whole church thing, we come around, we teach the scriptures, why? Because it tells us the story of Jesus, It tells us everything we need to know about love and faith that we might then go and apply it to a very, very, very complex world. So that's why we'll do this series, four weeks on this. So today is the Bible is one big story. Uh, The next time will be the Bible is about God. The next one, the Bible points us to Jesus. And the last one, the Bible calls us to obedience by the gospel through the Spirit. That'll be a long one. We'll figure that out, okay? Each week, you'll get a take-home sheet we used to do this in kids' ministry every week. we give all the parents a take-home project. We would find them in the trash before you left. It was like, hey, here's a flyer. You throw this away, right? So um, I'm going to ask you, well, there's this take-home thing. Do it with your kids this week. Take time. Sit down. Talk through the scriptures. Talk about the Bible and why it's so important, okay? So here we go. Today, the Bible, kids, tells one big story. Before we start the video, there's a thing that we've done here in big church a handful of times, kids, okay? Pay attention right here. So we talk about Jesus all the time. And when I was in college, there was a church that I went to where they used to ask this one question, and it was, who's the man, right? And, and it would be, he'd go, who's the man, right? And everyone would say, Jesus, right? So kids, I'm going to get you a little involved right now, okay? So did you hear that? So I'd say, who's the man? And you all say, Jesus, okay? So we're going to do it on three. Ready, kids? So who's the man? You guys say Jesus, right? Okay, so here we go. One, two, three. Who's the man? Jesus. Kids, just kids. Who's the man? Yeah, I know. We're not there, right? So here's the deal. By week four of this, which is like a year away, because we, we do the Family Sunday every fifth Sunday of a month, which only happens three to four times a year. So by next year, parents, one of the goals is have the entire Bible memorized for the kids, okay? Um, and then two, that they would say, Jesus is the man, okay, because he is, amen, all right, if we can show the video, if we don't mind, bring the lights down, if someone on lights, Brandon, if you could do that, and then it's just like about five-minute video, tells us how the Bible is one story, kids, maybe you've seen this in kids' ministry, we're going to watch it again together, and so let's do that now.
1: The Bible is an amazing book. It's not just a collection of stories. It's one big story where everything points to Jesus. It begins with God creating a perfect world and placing a perfect couple in the middle of it. But Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin and death entered the world. God decided to judge the earth by sending a great flood, but he told Noah to build an ark so the animals and Noah's family could be saved. One of Noah's descendants was a man named Abraham. God promised Abraham that his family would be used to bless the whole world. The Israelites would have a special land to live in and would be as countless as the stars in the sky. When a famine spread through the land, God used Joseph to bring the Israelites to Egypt. But after a time, the Egyptians made them their slaves. So God raised up another leader, Moses, to rescue his people and lead them to the Promised Land. God performed amazing miracles along the way. He taught the Israelites how to live. He showed them how to build a tent called the tabernacle, where sacrifices could be offered for their sins. But even after they arrived in the Promised Land, the Israelites continued to rebel. They worshiped idols and demanded a human king instead of God. God was patient and allowed them to have a king. One of those kings was David, who defeated Goliath. David's son Solomon built a beautiful temple for God that replaced the tabernacle. But Solomon's sin caused the kingdom to be split in two. During this difficult time, prophets like Isaiah told the people about the Messiah. The Messiah would make things right with God again. Even when the Israelites were conquered by other kingdoms, they held on to the promise that one day the Messiah would come and rescue them. In time, God led the Israelites back to the land. The temple was rebuilt. Jerusalem's walls were repaired. The prophet Malachi foretold that the Messiah was on the way. Then silence. For 400 years, God remained quiet. The silence was broken by the cry of a tiny baby born in a manger. His name was Jesus. Jesus was the Messiah. He lived a sinless life, performed miracles, and showed the people how to return to God again. Some believed Jesus. Most did not. He was arrested and crucified on a cross. And then something amazing happened. Three days after his death, Jesus came to life again, conquering death and defeating sin once and for all. At the beginning, we said that all of the Bible points to Jesus. So you might think it's strange that he appears so late in the story. Or does he? Look closely, and you'll find signs that point to Jesus right from the very beginning. God used the ark to save Noah, pointing to the day when we would find salvation in Jesus. God promised to bless the world through Abraham's family, which he did through Jesus. The sacrifices pointed to Jesus, who became the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. The pages of the Bible are filled with stories that point us to Jesus. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus' friends carried his message to the ends of the earth. Faithful followers like Peter, Paul, and others shared the good news wherever they went. And you and I have the same calling. We are to share Jesus wherever we go until one day, He returns to make everything right again. Yes, the Bible is full of amazing stories. But really, it's all about Jesus. That's the story. That's his story.
0: Alright, so that is uh, a video that I think is pretty darn good for all of us, right? That we just get to see the Bible from this large lens. So hear me, kids, parents, um, and friends, family members, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles, friends, students, whatever you are, okay? Um, Two points today, kids. Okay, here's the first one. The Bible is one story, okay? How many stories is the Bible, kids? One story, Okay, now when you read it, okay, now hopefully you have a Bible at home. If you don't, we're going to give you one today on your way out. Just let us know. The Bible is one story, but inside it is a bunch of different stories, right? Who here knows the story of David and Goliath? You guys heard of that one, right? Parents, you guys know that one? Wow, okay. There's a problem right there, right there. Okay, so everyone, David and Goliath, right? It's this very famous story, kids. And so that's one story, but it's just part of a bigger story. That God is writing across the whole world. That when you start in your Bibles, in the very beginning, there's a book called Genesis. It's the first book. means beginning. There's a book all the way at the end of the Bible called Revelation. And then in between is a whole bunch of other books, a whole bunch of other stories. But all of those tell one story. And that's what we just saw in the video. Now, parents, you're going to have to work in this with your kids. You're going to have to talk to them about the Bible being one story, because here's the important part for us to know the Bible is just one story, is you are to play a part in it. Because it's not Genesis. We've moved past creation. Jesus has come in the middle of the climax of the story of history, okay? But there's an ending that we're not there yet. And so we live in this in-between between Jesus and Revelation, between Jesus and heaven, And so parents, talk to your kids about where we are in the story of God so that they would know what does it mean for them to live faithful to that story. Because there's a lot of different stories out there that are trying to compete for your affections and your kids' affections, that are trying to compete for this is what kids you should care about. The Bible is saying, no, this is the one true story of God, and that's point two. The great part about this story, about the Bible, is that it's true. And hear me, it's not just true for Christians. It is true for the world, regardless if you believe it or not. And this is so important for us to teach our children that what they read is the true story of the world. The genesis, the origin, how we got here, that isn't here. It is the true story of the world. And our kids need to know that when they go out into the world, that there's going to be these other stories that try and tell them, no, no, you should live for this. And all of these other idols, all of these other things, they have stories that they want you to live by. Let's talk about one real briefly, okay? For me, I think one of the most driving forces, driving stories in our world is money. Money has a story. It has an arc to which it's trying to get you to buy into. So let's think about that. Every good story has an intro. It's going to have kind of plot development. There's going to be a conflict. Then towards the climax comes in a hero. And then your conclusion at the end of the climax and the hero, Okay, So what's the intro? Well, money is created. We have money, and it promises you happiness. If you have money, you can buy things. Kids, where there's money, there's toys. Okay, You can buy more toys. And so here's the idea. If you have toys, you're happy. Parents, if you have your toys, all of a sudden, you're happy. And so that's the promise. That's the introduction. The plot develops, so then we use that money. We spend money. We buy things for ourselves. We buy things for our kids. They get this stuff. But the conflict is this. The toys will never satisfy. And if you're a parent, you very much know that the toy never seems to satisfy. Because they want a different toy about 37 hours later. Okay. And then you look to the kid and hear me. We do the same thing. It's just different toys. It's different things. They're like, ah, give me something else to satisfy me. And so the story of money is saying, you no, know, no, then... What's the conflict is, well, money, you don't have enough of it. So the solution, do whatever you can to get as much of it as you can to be able to buy the happiness you cannot achieve outside of it. That's your solution. That's the hero. The hero is whatever it means for you to get more money, to buy more stuff, to get more happiness, and go through the whole cycle again, because the conclusion of that story is not happiness. It's, I need more. It oftentimes leads to greed. And that's a story. And saying, this is the way you should live your life. And we see it over and over and over. And hear me, if we don't tell our kids, if we don't show them that this story is the most beautiful, robust, and true story of the world, they will fall prey to the other stories of our culture. And so, hear me. I know I don't expect your kids to download everything I'm saying, especially at the pace with which I'm saying it, or understand everything in the video. That's not what this moment is. And hear me. That's not what this moment is, even on a non-family Sunday for you adults. You don't download everything here. You take what we learn here. It moves us and encourages us to be in this every day, which leads us to the last part of our time together before we sing again. Every time we do this, we're going to have what we call kind of a parent's tip moment. But I want to expand that because, hear me again, it is an all-church responsibility to raise the next generation. Okay, My mom was one of 14 children. Okay, She had 13 brothers and sisters growing up in a two-bedroom, 800-square-foot home in Vietnam. Okay, She was the oldest, and so guess what? It was her responsibility to raise the other kids. It was just an expectation. That was the same for then Uncle Tan and then Aunt Cam, and they're all crazy Vietnamese names. Those were the easiest ones, okay? That you raise up the next generation. Hear me. We talk often. This is a family. Why? Because the Bible calls us that we've been entered into, adopted into his family. We're united brothers and sisters. We raise up the next generation together. So these tips aren't just for parents. They're for all of us. When you see these kids in your life, when you're around, if you're babysitting, whatever it may be, that we would do these. So the first one, how will, so the question will be, how will my kids know and love the Bible? First tip, read it to them. <laughs> that doesn't sound like it'd be a shocker. Now, if they know how to read, have them read it to you. Read the Bible with your kids. Now, that sounds very obvious, but read the Bible with your kids, okay? That's the easiest one to enter into. We get that. Here, use good materials in the midst of that. And so we, we love using the Jesus Storybook Bible for our kids. Um, we think it's beautiful. It tells the story, but it always points to Christ and the gospel in the midst of it. There's other great stuff out there. We have a, a resource here called Right Now Media. Um, you can go and access, essentially, think of Netflix, but then think only amazing Christian resources, there's some that aren't good, but there's mostly really good Christian resources, okay? So think like 70-30, okay? And so um, you can go out and there's great content there for your kids. Get into that stuff with your kids. Do Bibles. There's, there's literally, there's a cartoon that they do called, uh, gosh, uh, I'm blanking, but um, what in the world does my Bible say or something like that? Like, it's teaching me theology, which you guys probably think like, well, then you don't know much, but um, it's amazing the way it takes these beautiful truths that the Bible brings out and allows us to teach our kids. Okay, so again, we're going to own this. Okay, this is part of it. Um, The next one, number two, and this one, this one, again, it should be obvious, but it isn't always. Make sure they see you reading it, which means you need to read it. Which, if we look across the spectrum, if you look at the other statistics of people who uh, read their Bible, okay, those numbers are not as low as the biblical worldview numbers, but they're really low. And we're Christians, right? This, this, we say, like, this, this is the deal for us. This tells us. This is how we learn. This is how we know. Okay, we want to train our kids. Make sure they see you reading the Bible. And hear me. I, I, I'm, I'm convicted of this because there are times where I'll be at home and I'm reading it. And it's great because then Finley will run up, his little Jesus book store, you know what I mean? And so he'll grab that. And he's like, I want to read with you. And then we're reading scripture at the breakfast table. Okay? But a lot of times I, I'll do my quiet times at the office. I'm like, okay, well, I'm here, I'm, it's quiet, I can kind of just read before people get there, that kind of thing, and I'm missing an opportunity to disciple my children, that they would see dad's love for the scriptures, because there's this great principle, I'm sure most of you know it, that things are far more caught than taught, principles are more caught than taught, you're going to tell your kid, read the Bible every day, but if you show him it, and you do it with him or her, son, daughter, they're going to want to do it all the more. Read your Bibles and let your kids know you're reading your Bible and then read it with them, yeah? Last one, connect your life to the Scriptures. Bring your kids in on things that are happening. So when something happens to them, say, you know what? Guess what? Let's go to the Bible. That reminds me of this. Listen, there's nothing wrong with your wisdom. Some of you are far more wise than I. Give some of that wisdom. That's great. Don't let it be the primary tool that you use for discipling your children. Your wisdom does not trump God's. So as life happens, as something happens in your kid's life, as something's happening in your family life, if something's happening, like you're not, okay, you're not, it's not your kid, it's not your niece, but you're just a babysitter or something. If something's happening or something happens in the home, take them to Scripture, right? When there's a trial, when there's something difficult, bring them into the story of the Bible and say, you know what, that reminds me of this, the thing we were reading the other day, and this is how it will open up the beauty of the story of God to your children, because they will begin to see this is not just some antiquated old school thing that we just kind of have to read, that this thing has something to say about all of life and is the principal and primary driver of what does it mean to know and love God. Now, this is not for our kids to just download right now. This is for us as a church family to take seriously raising up the next generation of people. So hear me, if you're here and everything you just said, you say, you're like, that sounds awesome, but I don't know where to even begin with that. Maybe some of you here, you're not even a Christian. You're like, I you want me to decide with my children? I'm not even a Christian, great. All of it, come and ask, come and talk. This is why we have community groups and mentorship programs. This is why we do Bible studies. This is why we engage and sit down and do lunches. Why we do roots is that the church would be with one another and help equip one another for the works of ministry, and again, parents, there is not a more primary responsibility in work of ministry for you than to disciple your children. So that's why we do Family Sunday. So, kids, if you can pay attention one last time, who's the man? Okay, kids, you, can, you know, Ben Klotz, you're 19 now, bro. Okay, again, parents, that's responsible. There you go, who said that? Gia, yes. There's some other kids too. You guys, you're all going to heaven. Good job. So, that's um, good. So, um, that's why we do this. Parents, on your way out, if you have questions, how, how do I do this practically? Like how, how do I mentor my kids? My kids have these questions. Who, how do I answer those? That's why we're here. And hear me I, I'm not super great at parenting my kids, but I, I know I want to do it better so we can co learn together. Yeah? And so let's pray for our children. Let's pray for our church that we'd be serious about raising up the next generation and that we would see the story of the Bible as the one true, beautiful story of the world. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for your grace, your mercy. I thank you for these kids. And Lord, again, by the power of your spirit, That's the only way any of us learn anything. It's the only way any of us download the realities and the beauties of who you are. And so, Lord, would you then move in our children the same way you've always moved in humanity, that, God, it would just be downloading their hearts now the word of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the gospel story and all that you've done. God, would you bless us now as we get to sing with our children, dance, and celebrate who you are. God, Jesus, you are the man. You have done everything we could not. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.